We are still today on uh, the getting close to late afternoon on the day of the resurrection. Last Sunday, uh, we were still on the day of the resurrection um, in the upper room with the 11, well, with the 10 disciples, because Thomas wasn't there, um, the first time Jesus came and appeared in their midst in a fully physical and yet different spirituality, a body that is different spiritually but not a ghost. And so it's the same day, And two of the greater number of disciples, we know there were 400 or so that, um, you know, would follow around um, with Jesus. And so these, one of whom we know is Cleopas, we do not know the name of his companion, whether or not it's uh, male or female, Um, that that goes both ways um, as far as what people believe. Um, His wife was Mary. So, but anyway, Cleopas and the other disciple were on the road from Jerusalem, out from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And we hear it's about seven miles. So, you know, maybe two hours by foot, depending on how slowly or how fast they're walking. And presumably they're not walking that fast because they're very downcast. They're very sad. And as they're walking um, home, Um, Jesus comes alongside them. Um, Now, evidently, they do not recognize Jesus, but neither do they think that this is a ghost. Otherwise, we would have heard that they were startled by it, but they just assume that this is another visitor to Jerusalem. So there's a full physicality in Jesus' resurrected body. Yet again, we have this witness, not a ghostly apparition, not a spiritual body insofar as it is incorporeal. It is a a different spirituality, but it is a physical body. And as he comes alongside, he sees that they're downcast, and um, he asks them, what are you talking about? And they stand still to answer his question, um, looking very sad. And they say to him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened? Uh, now, Luke is uh, wont to use irony a fair amount in his narrative. And here, of course, you can see that this is arch irony because Jesus is actually the only one who truly does know what happened. Um, So they're thinking he's the only one who doesn't know, but he was on the cross, he was in the tomb, he passed through death to life on the other side, and so he does indeed know better than they do exactly what had happened in Jerusalem. But it tells us one other thing. It tells us that this was not an event that happened just amongst a few small witnesses. This is something that has been bruited abroad all through Jerusalem. If they weren't out there witnessing the crucifixion itself, then the word has gotten out to the whole town. They believe that everybody in Jerusalem and visitors to Jerusalem for the Passover, so a much larger number than just the inhabitants of Jerusalem, know about what happened, about Jesus' death and burial in the tomb. 
And so Jesus asked them, what are the events that you're talking about? And if you look um, at the scripture, if you look at the gospel, they've actually go through a list of the gospel in a nutshell. They say, uh, this is what happened. Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet, mighty indeed, miracles, raising from the dead, um, and word, teaching, his amazing teaching. So Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word, the chief priests and the people delivered him over to the pagans for crucifixion. We had hoped that he was Israel's redeemer. We had hoped that he was the long-awaited Messiah, the Christ. But it's now the third day. Now, Jesus had told them um, that both he was, um, the, Peter had proclaimed him to be Messiah, and he had told them that on the third day he would rise. They're using that terminology. They're saying, now it's the third day. And the women have amazed us because they went to the tomb. It was empty. And a vision of angels said that he was alive. And then two amongst us went out to the tomb. And they verified the women's story that the tomb was indeed empty. No faith. No understanding no belief of the facts. In other words, they did not believe the women's testimony because they didn't see it with their own eyes. All they have seen is a crucified Jesus laid in a tomb. They've got the whole gospel. They've got facts, but the facts haven't been interpreted properly through the eyes of faith and Jesus upbraids them for their unbelief for not believing the other witnesses and then he goes on to open up for them everything that had been written about the Messiah from Moses which is the first five books of the Old Testament all the way through to the prophets they're probably walking for about two hours easily and possibly he's with them that whole time opening up to them what scripture says about the fact that the Messiah was to suffer and die. And surely a part of that uh, opening up of scripture takes him back to Isaiah and the suffering servant songs of Isaiah, where um, one who was... Um, who, who was scarred for us, who, on whom all of our sins were laid, who bore our infirmities. And so um, he's opening up to them everything that is written about him, but they still don't know that it's him. Later on, they'll say to each other, surely our hearts burned within us as he opened up the scriptures, but their eyes are still blinded. And they get home, they get to Emmaus, and Jesus goes as if to continue on somewhere else. And they, they, they say to him, please, the evening is at hand. The day is long past and evening is at hand. Come and stay with us. So he comes inside and before him is evidently laid a meal with bread. 
and wine. And uh, he takes the bread and breaks it. And at that moment, their eyes are opened and they recognize Jesus. And at that very moment, he's removed from, the, he is removed from their presence and they get up, evening or not, and probably half jog back to Jerusalem at this point in time and get back to the others, only to find out that Jesus has also appeared to Simon Peter. And so they tell the story about this journey uh, to Emmaus and the fact that their eyes were opened to who he was in the breaking of the bread. I used to do the children's chapel over at All Saints with the little rugrats, with the little preschoolers and uh, for the school. And, um, and we had a little kind of children's chapel, very similar to what I do now with the children on Wednesday mornings. So I'd kind of take them by the hand and I'd kind of put them in place and I'd tell the story. And so this particular time, um, one week, I had one little boy and I'd brought in the small Peter and we had a little altar in there. And um, I told the story about Jesus blessing the bread at the Last Supper in the upper room and had him kind of came behind him and tore the bread in two and had him hold it up like this. And so... And then the next week, I told this story, and I was taking them by, two of them by the hand, and they were so sad, and they were disconsolate, and they were telling him about, and then they got into the house, and he had another piece of pita bread, and they broke it, and all the kids are going, it's the same. See, it's amazing, isn't it, that even little preschoolers um, get the story. He was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Each one of us in this life will be on that same Jerusalem road. As some of you maybe are on that Jerusalem road right now. It's that road where hope seems lost, where we're disconsolate. Well, we've left behind a really rich season of life. And it seems like nothing is in the future. Are you traveling on that road today? Are you grieving a Jerusalem season like the disciples? Have you heard the words of scripture but they haven't yet burned into your heart uh, john wesley who was a uh, a preacher a church of england uh, priest had gone to do missionary work come to the united states to do missionary work and all of his preaching felt completely dead he knew his scriptures but they weren't alive in him and on the journey back, there was a huge storm and there were some Moravians who were praying and completely trusted in God. He'd never had that experience before. And then when he got back in London, somebody invited him to a church in Aldersgate where the prologue of John's gospel was being preached. And he said of that time, 
I felt my heart strangely warmed. It's kind of a burning, a warming that goes on when we allow God's Holy Spirit to open up the scripture for us, not just at an intellectual, informational level, but that really seeps into our hearts. That's what happened to those disciples. Are you on an Emmaus road right now? Take heart. Because Jesus' promise is that he is with us always. Not some of the time. Always. Even unto the end of the age. He comes alongside each and every one of us. We don't need to go searching for him. He is always coming alongside. In fact, scripture has this wonderful picture of the Lord knocking at the door of our hearts. Waiting until we open it from the inside. He always comes alongside looking for his children. And then he asks the question, what are you discussing? What are the things that lay heavy on your heart? Have you shared them with Jesus? Have you opened up your heart to him? All of the small minutiae, the details of what it is that is heavy on your heart. You know, sometimes people come up to me and say, God's too busy for my little things. He's got other things much more important than me. That's a heretical statement, folks. Because God's outside of time. He's never busy. It's God's time. He created time. He doesn't live within our chronos time. He lives outside of it. And the one thing he wants is a relationship where we share everything. The smallest things to the biggest things. Nothing is too small for God to hear from his children. Have you opened up your heart to him? And then, instead of the other long laundry list that we sometimes do in prayer, right? We've got the list of everybody we're praying for. Please, um, I'm lifting up so-and-so. They've got knee problems. They've got back problems. They're in hospital. They're in the nursing home. We go through that. We think we've done the checklist. But after we've offered up those things... We won't hear the Lord unless we spend some time in quiet, listening for his voice. Five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, half an hour. Do it incrementally if it's not something you're used to. But listen for the Lord because he's come alongside And he will speak to your heart. He will speak words of comfort. 
He will tell you that you are his beloved child. Listen to his voice. What did Jesus do when the disciples had told him the story of which they were a part in Jerusalem? He retold God's whole story. Because you see, their story was part of God's full story. And we are also part of God's story. God's narrative is called a meta-narrative. It's the whole story of God and his people. They were part of that. They only saw their lives encapsulated. And Jesus went back and said, no, this is God's story. Peter says, from the foundation of the earth, Jesus was going to come and die. But now it's happened at this particular point in time. And they were part of that story. Each of us is part of God's story. Anytime we do anything, however small it might seem to you, it is big in God's kingdom and in his story and in his eyes. If you're praying for somebody else, if you give to those in need, if you have a compassionate heart for others, if you seek justice, if you go for reconciliation, for people, If you offer forgiveness, whatever you do in the name of God, you are part of God's whole full story. It doesn't matter how small. God sees it all. You're part of a bigger picture. And we've got to remember that our small lives are always a part of a much bigger story. It's his story of which we are a part, God's story. But we only know that, we only understand that if we spend time in his word. Not, as I said, for information, but for transformation, that that word may warm us inside, that our hearts burn when we read the scriptures because we're part of the story that's being told. Alexander Solzhenitsyn demonstrated the power of this holy word in his book, One Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. It was a book based on his own prison experience. Ivan notices that one of his fellow prisoners in the Gulag Archipelago is not broken. And the light in his eyes does not go out as it seems to in all the other convicts. This is because each night in his bunk, before the glimmering bulb is turned off, this man reverently unfolds some wrinkled pieces of paper that have somehow escaped the censor and on them are copied passages from the Gospels. The book of life was the secret of this man's strength and endurance deep in the darkest corner behind the Iron Curtain. Another missionary, Ben Weir, who was for so long a hostage in the Lebanon, speaks movingly about worshipping while in captivity. Every Saturday night, he saved a piece of bread, a small piece of bread from his dinner. And on Sunday morning, 
he would eat that piece of bread and feel greatly moved by the sense of communing with God's people all over the world. Even in prison, the bread brought him into the presence of the Lord. See, we know the presence of the Lord who has come alongside us in our times of prayer, in his holy word, and in the sacrament of his body and blood. The Emmaus-bound disciples recognized the Lord, the risen, living Lord, in the breaking of the bread. Christ himself had told them as much in John's Gospel. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, he said. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And the Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever eats me will live because of me. And in that upper room, as he blessed the bread and broke it, this is my body, which is given for you. And then he blessed the cup. This is my blood in the new covenant, which is shed for you. We get so used to this amazing Passover of the Lord, this sacrament in our Lord's own body and blood, that sometimes I think we forget the mystery the grace and the presence of the Lord that is so present in this sacrament. I tell you who I know who knew that better than anybody else. She was a little under two-year-old little girl with Down syndrome. And when her parents at All Saints would go to the nursery to pick her up, they literally had to grab on to her clothes. Because the minute she came in through the doors, she started running with her hand out all the way to the altar rail. And if you were here... Seeing her run towards you, you could see the joy on her face. She just brimmed over. 
with sheer joy. And if you were here to give her the body of Christ, you've never seen a smile like it. You've never seen anybody who knew, like little Lauren did, who she received in that sacrament. She couldn't wait to come and receive Jesus. And every time she came, she got Jesus. And she would leave almost skipping from the altar rail. And I'd look out at the rest of the congregation and the adults and any who had gone through confirmation classes and could recite the catechism and could say what a sacrament was and what wasn't. And she knew. We come to meet Jesus in the sacrament. And he feeds us with his own life. Do you find yourself this day downcast, seemingly without hope? The brightness of a Jerusalem season dead in the past. Take heart. The Lord has come alongside you as he did on the Emmaus bound with the Emmaus bound disciples. Unburden yourself on him. Tell him the depths of your despair, your anxieties. Spend time with him in prayer. Spend time allowing his holy word to retell your story in his story. Come to his table expecting his promise to be fulfilled. You will know him in the breaking of the bread. He will feed you. He will comfort you and sustain you with his very life. Amen.